Section 27 Europe and the Faith This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Europe and the Faith by Hilaire Belloc Section 27 Chapter 6 Continued the attack was not racial, it was pagan, Slav, mixed with much that was left of pagan German, even Mongol. Its character was the advance of the savage against the civilized man, and it remained a peril two generations longer than the peril which Gaul and Britain had staved off from the north. This, then, is the first characteristic to be remembered of the Dark Ages, the violence of the physical struggle and the intense physical effort by which Europe was saved. The second characteristic of the Dark Ages proceeds from this first military one. It may be called feudalism. Briefly, it was this. The passing of the actual government from the hands of the old Roman provincial centers of administration into the hands of each small local society and its lord. On such a basis, there was a reconstruction of society from below. These local lords, associating themselves under greater men, and these again holding together in great national groups under a national overlord. In the violence of the struggle through which Christendom passed, town and village, valley and castle had often to defend itself alone. The great Roman landed estates, with their masses of dependents and slaves under a lord or owner, had never disappeared. The descendants of these Roman, Gallic, British owners formed the fighting class of the Dark Ages, and in this new function of theirs, perpetually lifted up to be the sole depositories of authority in some small imperiled countryside, they grew to be nearly independent units. For the purposes of cohesion, that family which possessed most estates in a district tended to become the leader of it. Whole provinces were thus formed and grouped, and the vaguer sentiments of a larger unity expressed themselves by the choice of some one family, one of the most powerful in every county, who would be the overlord of all the other lords, great and small. Side by side with this growth of local independence and of voluntary local groupings went the transformation of the old imperial nominated offices to hereditary and personal things. A count, for instance, was originally a commis, or companion, of the emperor. The word dates from long before the break-up of the central authority of Rome. A count later was a great official, a local governor, and a judge, the viceroy of a large district, a French county, and English, shire. His office was revocable, like other official appointments. He was appointed for a season, first at the emperor's, later at the local king's discretion, to a particular local government. In the Dark Ages, the Count becomes hereditary. He thinks of his government as a possession which his son should rightly have after him. He bases his right to his government upon the possession of great estates within the area of that government. In a word, he comes to think of himself not as an official at all, but as a feudal overlord and all society, and the remaining shadow of central authority itself, agrees with him. 
The second note, then, of the Dark Ages is the gradual transition of Christian society from a number of slave-owning, rich landed proprietors, taxed and administered by a regular government, to a society of fighting nobles and their descendants organized upon a basis of independence and in a hierarchy of lord and overlord, and supported no longer by slaves in the villages, but by half-free serfs or villains. Later, an elaborate theory was constructed in order to rationalize this living and real thing. It was pretended, by a legal fiction, that the central king owned nearly all the land, that the great overlords held their land of him, the lesser lords holding theirs hereditarily of the overlords, and so forth. This idea of holding instead of owning, though it gave an easy machinery for confiscation in time of rebellion, was legal theory only, and so far as men's views of property went, a mere form. The reality was what I have described. The third characteristic of the Dark Ages was the curious fixity of morals, of traditions, of the forms of religion, and of all that makes up social life. We may presume that all civilization originally sprang from a soil in which the custom was equally permanent. We know that in the great civilizations of the East an enduring fixity of form is normal. But in the general history of Europe it has been otherwise. There has been a perpetual flux in the outward form of things, in architecture, in dress, and in the statement of philosophy, as well, though not in its fundamentals. In this mobile surface of European history, the Dark Ages form a sort of island of changelessness. There is an absence of any great heresies in the West, and, save in one or two names, an absence of speculation. It was as though men had no time for any other activity but the ceaseless business of arms and the defense of the West. Consider the life of Charlemagne who is the central figure of those centuries. It is spent almost entirely in the saddle. One season finds him upon the Elbe, the next upon the Pyrenees. One Easter he celebrates in northern Gaul, another in Rome. The whole story is one of perpetual marching, and of blows parrying here, thrusting there, upon all the boundaries of isolated and besieged Christendom. He will attend to learning, but the ideal of learning is repetitive and conservative. Its passion is to hold what was, not to create or expand. An anxious and sometimes desperate determination to preserve the memory of a great but half-forgotten past is the business of his court, which dissolves just before the worst of the pagan assault, as it is the business of Alfred, who arises a century later, just after the worst assault has been finally repelled. Religion during these centuries, settled and consolidated as it were, an enemy would say that it petrified, a friend that it was enormously strengthened by pressure. But whatever the metaphor chosen, the truth indicated will be this, that the Catholic faith became, between the years 600 and 1000, utterly one with Europe. The last vestiges of the antique and pagan civilization of the Mediterranean were absorbed, a habit of certitude and of fixity, even in the details of thought, was formed in the European mind. It is to be noted in this connection that geographically the center of things had somewhat shifted. With the loss of Spain and of northern Africa, 
the Mohammedan raiding of southern Italy and the islands, the Mediterranean was no longer a vehicle of Western civilization, but the frontier of it. Rome itself might now be regarded as a frontier town. The eruption of the barbarians from the east along the Danube had singularly cut off the Latin West from Constantinople and from all the high culture of its empire. Therefore the center of that which resisted in the West, the geographical nucleus of the island of Christendom, which was besieged all round, was France, and in particular northern France. Northern Italy, the Germanies, the Pyrenees, and the upper valley of the Ebro were essentially the marches of Gaul. Gaul was to preserve all that could be preserved of the material side of Europe, and also of the European spirit. And therefore the New World, when it arose, with its Gothic architecture, its parliaments, its universities, and in general its spring of the Middle Ages, was to be a Gallic thing. The fourth characteristic of the Dark Ages was a material one, and was that which would strike our eyes most immediately if we could transfer ourselves in time and enjoy a physical impression of that world. This characteristic was derived from what I have just been saying. It was this material counterpart of the moral immobility or steadfastness of the time. It was this, that the external forms of things stood quite unchanged. The semicircular arch, the short, stout pillar, occasionally but rarely the dome, these were everywhere the mark of architecture. There was no change nor any attempt at change. The arts were saved but not increased, and the whole of the work that men did with their hands stood fast in mere tradition. No new town arises. If one is mentioned, Oxford, for instance, for the first time in the Dark Ages, whether in Britain or in Gaul, one may fairly presume a Roman origin for it, even though there be no actual mention of it handed down from Roman times. No new roads were laid. The old Roman military system of highways was kept up and repaired, though kept up and repaired with a declining vigor. The wheel of European life had settled to one slow rate of turning. Not only were all these forms enduring, they were also few and simple. One type of public building and of church, one type of writing, everywhere recognizable, one type of agriculture with very few products to differentiate it, alone remained. The end of section 27